Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I said that the possibility of a Wayne Rooney signing in MLS just didn't move the needle for me. It still doesn't. But you know what? He has made DC a better team. He's provided iconic moments. And most importantly, he has brought relevancy to a former MLS super club that for many years has been wandering in the wilderness of irrelevancy. Can you put a price on that? Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the Rooney effect. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering all your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you on this Monday morning? I am good. I am wearing an Inter Milan jersey. You are, yep. Uh, I very nearly wore a Michigan football jersey, but I felt like that would antagonize you because you were not happy with what you saw this weekend. Well, let's get to it then, uh, because <laughs> uh, as people that do listen to this pod know, you are a alumni of the University of Michigan. Um, you are Wolverine through and through in anything and everything that comes out. I was dismayed, Mossy, uh, and I let you know this while we were working Bundesliga. And please correct me if I'm wrong, and please stand up for your student body. I watched a pregame of a football game. I don't watch the actual football game, but I watched the pregame. Rob Stone and friends were talking about it. And a member of the Wolverines football team, American football team, they were playing their big rivals, interstate rivals, Michigan State, the Spartans, if I'm not mistaken, at Spartan Stadium or whatever it's called uh, in East Lansing over there. And before the game, one of your Wolverine players walked on the field and, from what I looked, and they had the cameras on it, desecrated the field, stomping and dragging his foot, making all sorts of gesticulations. Uh, it, was a, it was a real theatrical type of performance. I looked at it as completely disrespectful. I thought he brought shame to Wolverine Nation for the way that he acted. I think he embarrassed himself, his team, his school, his family. And if I was his coach, I would have said, no, you're not playing today. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong in, in terms of any of the facts that I have just relayed to our, uh, our listeners there. Well, the he is Devin Bush, the best linebacker no in the country. No idea who he is. The backstory there is Michigan State have this pregame ritual where they come out 
uh, with their arms linked. They formed this line across the field and walked the length of the field together. And they were scheduled to warm up at a certain time, but instead they waited till the Michigan players were warming up on the field and intentionally came out then and did it because they wanted to walk through the Michigan players. It was kind of an intimidation tactic. And in fact, their head coach, uh, there's footage of him watching the whole thing and smiling. So it was all kind of orchestrated on their part. Our players did not take kindly to it. And uh, that's what led to, in retaliation, Devin Bush doing what he did. I'll tell you something, Alexi. I didn't mind that as much, but this weekend I kind of officially became like an old man get off my lawn type guy because welcome welcome my friend (laughs) i'm telling you the game starts and the amount of trash talking and personal fouls and unsportsmanlike conducts was tough to take uh the michigan players drove me crazy because can a football player make a play anymore without celebrating i mean i'm not talking about a touchdown but every first down every tackle every bit of good coverage to form an to force an incompletion you got to like glare at your opponent and stare at the camera and dance and point at everybody oh my god you can't get any more old man right now i mean this is ridiculous do you do you you, are you okay when soccer players celebrate and and dance and do all that because it's fewer and far between obviously exactly but we, we have created this if you look at it as a monster we have created this monster with the way that we televise the game and certainly from an American football perspective with all the stoppages it's segmented and so there has to be a uh, an arc if you will the start the middle and then the end and the payoff and the big money scene at the end so I, I think it is of our of our own making but yeah you're right you are you are kind of grumpy and everybody celebrates everything and so it dilutes the real quality and the real big plays when they actually arrive the onion had a famous headline years ago in a football game, both teams celebrate a four-yard gain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, we have uh, we have certain examples in, in our uh, soccer history of players desecrating the uh, the opponent's uh, sanctuary on the field, off the field, and that kind of stuff. What Landon uh, Landon Donovan famously uh, sure. relieved himself uh, in a stadium down in Mexico. So thing things have been done. Ultimately, your team won, right? So we did, um, yeah. They, despite the fact that they are horrible, horrible human beings and, and have absolutely no class, they still won, which is ultimately all that matters in college football, right? Okay, listen, enough talk about the uh, American football uh, game, especially when it comes to the Wolverines over there in Michigan. I, I wish you luck going forward. Uh, you're going to need it because you have such horrible, horrible, uh, not just players, but just horrible human beings for them to <laughs> p- ever do something like that. I just think it's it's just it's horrible. Uh, okay, let's move on. You ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As always, we start the pot off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week it goes a little something like this. Back in May on the pod and on TMZ, I said that the possibility of a Wayne Rooney signing in MLS just didn't move the needle for me. It still doesn't. But you know what? My needle doesn't matter. Because Wayne Rooney has brought it, and more, in his four months with DC United. 19 games, 12 goals, 7 assists. He has pinned the needle. He has made DC a better team. He's provided iconic moments. And most importantly... He has brought relevancy to a former MLS Super Club that for many years has been wandering in the wilderness of irrelevancy. Can you put a price on that? Well, DC United did, and so far Rooney has repaid them by leading the team to a playoff berth that a few months ago, mired in last place, seemed impossible. Now, while it takes work, it doesn't necessarily take a genius to sign a Rooney or a Zlatan or even a Beckham. Believe me, I'm living proof of that. For the most part, it takes money, a good sales pitch, 
and yeah, some faith. You're hedging your bets with established older foreign stars, but you're also risking inviting the retirement league narrative, the cultural challenges on and off the field that can frustrate star signings, or the possibility of just receiving damaged goods. Ultimately, you're hoping that these players raise the level of the players around them, which Rooney has certainly done. Case in point, Luciano Acosta, whose 10 goals and 17 assists are basically doubling and tripling his numbers from last year. But Rooney is the anti-Zlatan and the anti-Beckham. He doesn't make it about himself, doesn't crave the spotlight or thrive on controversy. To be honest, it's kind of boring, but I guess that's his charm. He's always cultivated a persona of a blue-collar guy who happened to be touched by magic. Rooney's been good. No, he's been great. The magic is alive and well, and it's shown up in D.C. Wayne Rooney has moved the needle on and off the field. And now, with the MLS playoffs looming, let's see how long he can keep the needle pinned. All right, Mossy, did you see this coming in terms of the impact and the incredible impact that uh, Wayne Rooney has had on D.C. United this year? Well, first off, this is why when TMZ tries to interview me, I just keep on walking because uh, you can always say something silly in the spur of the moment that could come back to bite you months later. The footage of them chasing you uh, as you try to get to your uh, car after arriving at LAX is always money. Yes. No, I did not see this coming. This has surprised me as well. Now, you were a general manager in MLS who Mm. famously signed David Beckham. Yes. What advice would you give to current GMs when signing these aging foreign stars? Is there a way to tell which ones are going to translate to MLS, which ones are going to play hard, and, and which ones are just collecting a check? I mean, is it, it, I'm sure everybody says the right thing in the beginning. Sure, so, sure. I mean, how, is there any way that you can, anything you can look at, any telltale signs? No, I mean, look, you're going to do your due diligence, and you're going to talk to anybody and everybody in terms of getting to the nitty-gritty. You know, uh, for example, injuries. We saw we saw Zlatan. Uh, he was coming off a major injury, so you got to make sure that you're not just talking to the player or to the agent, but you're talking to as many people around to get an assessment. It's never going to be perfect, and we all know that regardless of who you sign, there is an element of faith. You hedge your bets. You do your, as I said, your due diligence. When it comes to these high-profile names, you hope that they recognize what they're coming into. It should, and at this point in, in time, it should never be a surprise to any of these players what they are coming into. And I don't think that for Wayne Rooney, it's it was necessarily a surprise. I think once they moved into that stadium, and it's a lot of other things, because if the only thing that you do is sign that one player and rely on that one player, then the, the chances of it working are less, you got to do other things. And so for DC, for example, signing, or returning Bill Hamid to the fold, that's good. And then you have to have faith that the talent you already have within your midst is not, is not living up to what you feel they should be at. And that the, by having a Wayne Rooney, in this case, coming in, you see that bump to a guy like Luciano Acosta. You see it to Ariola. These, these, these types of players that are okay but oftentimes in those moments, they need some help. They need somebody else that they appreciate, that they respect, that are of their level or better than their level to, uh, to help them. That's, that's all to say that, look, it was a situation where I looked at what DC United was. And while I certainly have a respect for the talent level that Wayne Rooney is, I was worried that he was going to come in and not move the needle because he just was not going to have anybody around him. And while he is a good player... I don't think he is the Zlatanish type of player that takes everybody on his back. 
He's done a little bit of that, and he has raised everybody's uh, game. And then, you know, there's some there's stars aligning. There's moving into this new stadium and having this new environment, almost getting this reset that then he gets to be a part of as opposed to the, the interloper, the guy just coming in from the outside. But he has been wonderful. And as I said before, it doesn't matter what, what I think. It really doesn't matter what any of us around D.C. United think. He has made this, this team relevant again. He is making people buy tickets, making people take notice, and ultimately generating the points that now has them in the playoffs. And we've seen this. This is nothing new necessarily from MLS, where teams go on a run in the second half of the season, and what we once thought was ridiculous, and especially for teams that are mired in last place, getting into the playoffs. Should we be amazed that this happened? No, because MLS is designed to have things like this happen. But we should give credit where credit is due to Ben Olsen and the entire front office staff that said, you know what, we're going to spend money. We're going to spend a lot of money, much more money than what we spent in the past. We're going to go get a big signing, a big name. We're going to take all the risk that we've, that we've talked about when it comes to the big name signing because we feel that not only does it move the needle when it comes to relevancy and attention, but as important and maybe to a certain extent more important, this team needs an injection of somebody that's going to make it better on the field. And I don't, I don't think there's a lot of teams out there in MLS that are, that are fearful of D.C. and facing them in the playoffs. But it's a very, very different proposition now than it was only a few months ago. I think I've asked you this before, but it's worth revisiting. Is there a part of you that, I don't want to say roots against guys like Rooney, but just convinces your yourself they're going to struggle because you know if they do well it is going to perpetuate this notion that MLS is an easy league is yeah that, I've, got, I, I've gotten over that I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying and it's natural because it's it's the easy story to write and and I guess to a certain extent it's it's the right story to write because it is an example of it now there's different layer, layers ultimately I want people to come over here that play with a respect and a willingness to do the work that also recognize that they're coming into a very different situation. This is a dogfight, game in and game out. And whether you're Wayne Rooney or whether you're Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you recognize that this isn't a situation where you are playing for the best team in the league and you know that 70% of the time or so you're going to win just because you have more talent. And that's a, that's a transition. That's a physical transition and a mental transition that sometimes takes a long time for players to make. And some players that come over here never make that transition. They get so frustrated at the fact that either they don't have the talent around them or the, the talent that they have around them relative to the other teams that may or may be better puts them in a, in a situation and a circumstance that they've never been in before where they are struggling and fighting in a dogfight game in and game out. That, that's the challenge. And getting people that have not just the, the physical abilities, and that's a big if, if they have the physical abilities to continue on because we know the challenges that this league produces, but also the mental ability to change and be in an environment that is oftentimes very, very unique and different and requires a different mindset going forward. Now, the end of the regular season is upon us, decision day this upcoming Sunday. Two playoff spots on the line, one in each conference. The LA Galaxy will host Houston, a win, and they're in. Anything less, and they're out. Rooney got his team over the line. Do sure. you see Zlatan doing the same? Look, all they have to do is win at home. Uh, as you mentioned, Zlatan, as they say, walks the walk, talks the talk. He talked about 
going up there and entertaining the troops up in Minnesota who uh, had come out in force, 50,000 strong up there with the loons. Uh, he said, they're coming for me. They're not coming for Minnesota. Uh, he scored a goal. The team won. They looked very good. He looked good. He played on turf, which was, was important. And now he puts himself and his team on his shoulders and in the position to go into the playoffs. Uh, they play Houston. I don't see why they can't get the three points and fulfill this part of that prophecy, I guess, from a Zlatan perspective. And it will be a wonderful story. It will be a story not of equal proportions, but certainly one that should be told alongside the Rooney thing. And they are such different personalities and, and players, but both of them have had amazing effects on their team. And that's why I said moving the needle, when we talked about moving the needle when I was talking to TMZ or when I talked about it in the pod, Zlatan excites me more than Wayne Rooney. I'm, I'm more willing and, and I want to go see Zlatan more than Wayne, Wayne Rooney. That's just, my, that's just my personal needle. But he's moving the needle for a lot of people out there. And the viral aspect of it and the big name and when those plays happen that go around the world, that's a good global message to send out there. These things are happening. This is exciting. You should, you should tune in. Wayne Rooney's doing this. Wayne Rooney's doing that. That's, that's a good thing. That's a fun thing. But I don't... I don't worry anymore about when an older player, quote-unquote older player, a player that would be looked at as retiring or, or coming to a retirement league does well here. I, I, I want that because for every one of those, I can find plenty of players, younger players, players in their prime, whether they're domestic, whether they're international, that are, do, uh, that are doing well. And the fact is that I believe and I have faith and I know that this game is going to succeed with or without them. And there is a help that they bring. There is a power that they bring and a value that they bring, even with the baggage of, well, it's a retirement league like now. I, th I don't think that anybody's saying that necessarily when it comes to Wayne Rooney because he seems to have bought in and that whole ethos and work ethic that kind of has defined him over his career. I mean, he's never been a sexy, flashy type of player, notwithstanding bicycle kicks and all that kind of, he could certainly have those golden moments, but there was a real... Just the way that he looks. His whole aesthetic is about meat and potatoes, work, grinding, uh, and getting the job done with a touch of class and magic that elevated him above just a normal player. The Columbus Crew, your favorite team, also control their own destiny. A win at home against Minnesota and they're in, but if they stumble, it could open the door for Montreal should they win away to New England. How do you see this playing out? Well, look, Montreal has struggled. Columbus went down to Orlando and lost uh, in Orlando, which was a big, big problem. And it's it's not a problem. If Columbus doesn't make the playoffs, let's be honest, it's it's Columbus. So how many people are going to care other than the Columbus faithful? And that's what they should do, right? But the, the, the bigger story and why a lot of people are talking about Columbus is because of Greg Berhalter and the potential of him becoming the next national team coach. And if he comes... If he becomes a national team coach off the back of his team not making the playoffs, everybody's going to scream and yell. <laughs> it really doesn't matter to me. Either you believe that Greg Berhalter is a good coach or you don't. And I'm not saying that a resume isn't, isn't important. But at this point, Ernie Stewart, if he believes that Greg Berhalter is the, the man to coach, whether this team makes the playoffs or not is really going to be, uh, is really going to be irrelevant. I think uh, so. So Columbus plays at home. Is that what they do uh, on their last game? Is that uh, correct? Who do they play? Minnesota. The loons. The loons can once again play spoiler, and uh, they weren't able to do it at home in front of fifty thousand people on that game. No, I think I think Columbus gets it done at home, and I think Montreal misses out. <laughs>
right? Is that, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way it would work. Now, everybody's jockeying for position. This is going to be a hell of a week for MLS. Myself and Rob Stone, we're heading to Charlotte to do uh, that whole decision day, whip around type of thing, because all we have simultaneous starts. And so we'll be keeping everybody abreast of what is happening in terms of the teams that are in. We talked about Real Salt Lake and the LA Galaxy vying for that last spot. We talked about Columbus and Montreal vying for that last spot. But even within then, within the playoff, the teams that have made it, you know, the Supporter Shield still isn't locked up for Atlanta United. So that jockeying for position, which matters because of having home games or playing the one-off game. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of movement and a lot of drama unfolding this weekend when it comes to MLS. And we will be bringing all of it to you. It's, ex- it's exciting times. I know a lot of people say that uh, that from an MLS standpoint, it doesn't get exciting and it doesn't matter until later on in the season. Well, we are at that later on point in the se- season. We can have that argument, but you can't deny the fact that we are at that point where things matter and every game matters and every result is going to shift how those playoffs are going to match up. All right, Mossy, anything else? Nope. Uh, that has been the State of the Union for today. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. Okay, it's that time of the pod when Mossy makes his case. He uh, talks about something that's eating him, that he's been dying to talk about all week. Mossy, what is your case this week for the people? My case is that Real Madrid are sacrificing the present for the future, but the strategy is not sustainable. If you look at the five biggest transfers in football history, they are as follows. Neymar from Barcelona to PSG. Kylian Mbappe from Monaco to PSG, Coutinho from Liverpool to Barcelona, Usman Dembele from Dortmund to Barcelona, and Paul Pogba from Juventus to Manchester United. All of them occurred in the last three years. None of them involve Real Madrid. As the market has escalated, Real Madrid have sat out the high end of it, which was particularly surprising this past summer because when they sold Cristiano Ronaldo, everyone assumed they would sign a star to replace him. Sure. So what gives? Real Madrid are about to embark on a massive renovation of their stadium, the Santiago Bernabeu. The idea is to turn it into the envy of the world. They're going to build a retractable roof, a panoramic screen, all new luxury suites, and it looks like they're going to pay for it themselves. It's going to cost 600 million euros. It's going to mean incurring massive debt, but their president, Florentino Perez, is convinced that eventually it's going to lead to added revenue, which is going to allow them to compete financially with the PSGs and the Manchester City. So he's playing the long game here. In the meantime, it's not like they haven't spent any money on players, but they've taken an interesting approach. Uh, they've recently spent 90 million euros on a pair of Brazilian teenagers, 45 million each on Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo. They argue, regardless of the stadium situation, this is a sound strategy. In the face of this escalating market, the thing to do is to identify the next stars, get them when they're young, and in a few years, if these kids are worth 200 million, it's going to look like a bargain. The problem is, as Mike Tyson famously said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And all it took was a five-match winless run for the newspapers to start clamoring for them to sign Eden Hazard or Neymar. This strategy of theirs requires a level of patience that the fans and media in Madrid have never demonstrated. You can bet if these struggles continue, those calls are going to get even louder. I don't think you can fundamentally change the culture of a club that's built on splashy signings. What say you? That's it. And for those that may not know, uh, what is the nickname of Real Madrid? What do they, they sign? The stars? Well, uh, Galacticos. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is a team, as you rightly mentioned, that was built on signing stars. This was not a team that was built on cultivating young talent. This was not a team that was built on development. This was not a team that was built on patience. This was not a team that was built on trust the process. No. You pay your money. You support this team, and you expect to see a winning team that has the stars of the world playing on it. That's what Real Madrid has done. And by the way, I I love that. I love that about them because 
in a certain sense, they have been the most honest. This is what we're doing. This is how we are going to do it. This is how we believe our business is going to function. Barcelona, which is always a part of this conversation, more than a club, right? Mastoon Club, all that, all that kind of stuff. Well, the reason why you are more than a club or any other club is because you have stars. And yes, they cultivated a generation, but I think they would readily admit that while La Masia is wonderful, there was a golden generation that was cultivated and just timing, soccer gods, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, not, I'm not negating uh, the work that was done to, to have them uh, in an environment that enabled them to be very, very good. But one of the reasons why we watch Barcelona although they don't call themselves the Galacticos, is because of the stars also. So now when you go completely opposite, it's not even like, oh, we're just going to tweak it here or there. No, you're saying you're going to go completely opposite and you're going to blame the world market or, or, or whatever it ends up being? No, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I want in a club. So this, this rings a little hollow, okay? If, if in 10 years they have a great team and they're winning, fine. Call me in 10 years and I'll pay attention. But until then, that's not part of the deal for, for Real Madrid for me. Sell me on why it should be part of the deal or shouldn't it? Well, first of all, just to, just to give some context to their struggles, they're winless in five. They lost at home to Levante this past weekend. The Lopetegui watches on. We're taping this on a Monday morning. He hasn't been fired yet. They have a Champions, League, yet. We got a Champions League game coming up <laughs> home to Victoria Pilsen, and then they're away to Barcelona this upcoming weekend. So we'll see if he survives this week. But the interesting thing is all the newspapers had polls, uh, who's most to blame for this situation? And the president, Florentino Perez, is getting way more votes than Lopetegui. So they blame this whole transfer tr strategy. And most people think it's been like a two or three year thing where he hasn't properly upgraded the squad. They even point to last season. I know they won the Champions League, but it was kind of a team that just got hot at the right time, got some breaks. They really weren't that good last season. So they felt like these problems were evident already. And then you, you lose Cristiano Ronaldo and you don't replace him. So it's interesting that more of it is falling on the president at, at right now at a time where he's trying to sell this big stadium project. So... And, and it's not as if they couldn't have gone out there and, and signed big names and replaced them. You know, Hazard's sitting out there waiting, waiting in the wings. But you know, once again, when, when, I, when I look at this team right now, and this, this goes back to this whole, the, 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 all these words that we use, culture and philosophy and style of play. And it, sometimes it just drives me nuts because a lot of it is hollow. A lot of it is used to cover up deficiencies or to kind of pat you on the head. Well, you don't understand. Or you say, well, it's all on the inside. You can't understand. All, all that kind of stuff is such BS, okay? Unless you actually do it. And if you do it, hats off and I will clap you. So for example, NYCFC or, or Man City for that matter, but NYCFC of, of, uh, over the last couple of years under Patrick Vieira. Like it or not, Patrick Vieira had that team playing in a specific style, one that you could identify. He didn't apologize for it, and that's the way that they played. That is a culture. That is a style of play. That is a philosophy. But you can't just stop doing it because the coach changes or because the, the, the market changes. I guess you could if it's just a, an economic reaction, but it's not like Real Madrid is poor or anything like that. But, but that's, that's what irritates me now is that you have said that this is who you are. You have, you have stood on it time and time again. Galacticos, stars of the world, be with us because the next big star 
is just around the corner and we are going to sign them. We're going to let them become huge someplace else and then we're going to go in and we're going to drop a lot of money and we're going to bring them here so you can see them week in and week out because that's what we are. Well, evidently, that's not what you are. And don't ask me to care about something when you have completely abandoned the brand and the style and the culture that you built this entire organization on. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Ryan O'Hanlon of The Ringer wrote a very good column recently talking about the struggles of Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich this season, the three clubs that have dominated the last decade. And he talked about how given the financial muscle of the Premier League and also the emergence of PSG, those three clubs have all been confronted with this dilemma. Do we get involved in this arms race and try to spend with these clubs? And Barcelona have more or less decided yes. I mean, I just rattled off the biggest transfers. They've made two of them, Coutinho and Dembele. They took that Neymar money and spent it. Uh, they tried to get Antoine Griezmann this past summer. They've been linked with Paul Pogba. Bayern have said absolutely not, and we'll get to them later, but they're, they're, no, they're not going anywhere near these big transfers. Real Madrid are sort of in the middle right now. I don't think they've quite figured out which way they're going to go. They're trying to sell this strategy of young players, but like I said, I don't think it's sustainable. I think if these struggles continue, they're going to end up going after an Eden Hazard or somebody because it's just it's too much in the DNA of that club. So you think they're going to abandon this course and just say, look, we need to do something. We need to do something big from a from a player perspective, maybe from a coaching perspective? Because because there's others, in, as the world changes, and look, I know, I know I'm screaming and yelling about, you know, you should be who you are. The reality of life creeps in, even for these big super clubs and the changing of the times. And certainly when you look at someone, you know, you're wearing an Inter shirt, but if you, if you talk about AC Milan, what they once were, and there came a point that the world changed so much, and internally their world changed in terms of what Italian soccer was, where they said, we, we, can't, we can't compete anymore. And they abandoned it, but they had no recourse. Do you think that they... That you're saying that Real Madrid has an ability to say, okay, maybe we're not going to do, we're not going to do that, or do they become the next AC Milan? And ten years from now, we're looking at Real Madrid as uh, this once great, this once great team. No, no, I think they have the recourse, and if these struggles continue, they're going to go back to their old ways. The other, the other issue that Ryan O'Hanlon brought up in this piece is that the Premier League has gobbled up a lot of the best managers in the world, and so Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern right now. Each have guys in uh, Lopetegui, Nico Kovac, Ernesto Valverde, good managers, but don't necessarily have that great pedigree. If you were ranking the best managers in the world, none of those three would factor in your top five or maybe even your top ten. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And if they do fire Lopetegui, which way are they going to go? Are they just going to promote a Guti or a Solari? Or are they going to go after a big name? I've heard Antonio Conti mention, Arsene Wenger, even Jose Mourinho mentioned, which gave Mourinho kind Whoa. of an ego boost. He got to come out on the press conference today and say, I'm not interested uh. in the job. I'm happy with <laughs> <laughs> I am, which, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so it's, it'd be interesting to see which way Real Madrid go on that for their next manager, assuming Lopetegui doesn't survive, which I don't think he will. Well, I mean, this is, this is the danger of, of not having constraints. And I know we have financial fair play and all that, but, but relative to you know, a, a salary cap or, or actual restrictions and relative parity that we see over in, with American sports and certainly with MLS, this is the danger is that the market gets so inflated and they are so, we talk about super clubs and elite clubs, and we talk, we've talked about making a, a, a super league, you know, with all the, the, the quote-unquote best teams actually playing within, within a league, different than, than Champions League. But it gets to the point now where it's so super, it's ultra, ultra club now. It's not even a super club. The ultra clubs. And as we get higher and higher, there's fewer and fewer teams that have the capability, more importantly, because you might have the capability, 
but the desire to, to compete at that high level when it comes to the massive amount of money that is involved. You seem to think, and you are submitting, that Real Madrid, despite what they're saying right now, they will, one way or the other, either by uh, firing coaches and adding players, they will compete. Yeah, which is bad news for our producer Alex Dowd, big Chelsea fan, because I think the obvious name once they do decide to get back to their winning ways is Eden Hazard. Let me, we'll end on this. Let me make a point about, I mentioned the two Brazilian teenagers they signed. One of them, Rodrigo, hasn't even turned 18 yet, so he's still in Brazil. The other one, Vinicius Jr., turned 18 this summer. They brought him over, but... He's somehow gotten thrown into the middle of this because he showed some flashes in the preseason, including their last preseason game at home against AC Milan. He came on late, did a couple of tricks. There was a real buzz in the crowd for him. And then their first official home game, the Bernabeu was empty and there was a feeling of staleness about the roster. And Florentino Perez saw that. And ever since then, he's been putting pressure on Lopetegui to play this kid. And, and the media have picked up on it too. He's now getting hammered over the head with this. And I'm sorry, but this kid cannot be the solution here. Uh, he's, he's talented, but he's very very raw. Uh, they, they have the right idea. In, in the months leading up to the season, all the conversation was, should we leave him at Flamengo for another year? Should we bring him over but then loan him out? Or should he play for the reserve team, Castilla? Nowhere was it ever thought that he was actually going to be a key contributor this season. And now because they're struggling, there, there's all these calls for him to play. I mean, he, he's not going to come to the rescue here, folks. He cannot be the 18-year-old Vinicius Jr. cannot be the solution to these problems right now. So get that out of your head. Mossy, trust the process. <laughs> all right? Trust the process. Ten years from now, then come talk to me if you're Real Madrid. If this is what you're going to do, uh, and then and then we'll actually have a discussion about uh, what you are. When all of these, when all this talent that you were buying and this plan comes to fruition, uh, then we'll do it. All right, Mossy, I love it, I love it. Mossy makes the case yet again, uh, yet again this week on the uh, State of the Union. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time for Ask Alexi, the hashtag Ask Alexi segment. When you send in all your questions, comments, and concerns on all the different platforms out there on Twitter and Facebook and walking down the street. You can scream it at us. Uh, and then Mossy uh, picks a few of them and uh, reads them on the air, as he's about to do right now. All right, what are those Ask Alexi questions that we have this week, Mossy? All right, first up, at Solo Yosh. With at Statman Mossy gushing over Jardine and his adaptability, does he pop up on the U.S. men's national team coaching radar as a late contender? Ooh. Well, I'm asking you first, would, I know you were gushing. Would you just be in heaven if the United States men's national team uh, went the opposite way, and Greg Berhalter was thrown to the side and said, no, we are going with Jardine? Uh, I don't know if uh, Jardine speaks English, so I guess that rules him out. But uh, no, of course, I, I made my thoughts course? Why, clear. of course? No, so of course I'd be happy. I, I know I, why. I, why would you be happy? Oh, of course. Because I think the guy's a fantastic coach. Now, let me say this. I mentioned on the podcast last week, and it was in the context of talking about Manchester United and who their next manager should be and the fact that Zidane is the overwhelming favorite. But I said... They should maybe take a look at Jardine. A couple days later, World Soccer Talk wrote a column titled, Jardine and not Zidane should be United's next head coach. And they repeated almost word for word the arguments I made on the podcast. So great minds think alike. I've started a, a pro-Jardine kind of movement here. My friend, uh, you are I'm... an influencer. <laughs> you are an influencer. People take your words. But 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 getting back to that, hold on. When, when even the possibility, and I know you were being a little bit uh, facetious there, but even the possibility, you said, yes, you have to do it. I don't, I don't understand this because there's this there's this sentiment out there that someone like Greg Berhalter, Berhalter okay who from a, a a resume standpoint certainly doesn't have the resume of of these big clubs that he's coached at so why would you just say automatically he's a better coach Jardine in this case no I wouldn't you just asked well, you me, just did you, you would be incredibly no, happy because you think he's a great coach and you would say he'd be better than uh, Greg Berhalter why, be why do you think there could you be, don't be, think uh, he'd be there could be other guys that, yeah I, I actually 
it's it's sort of an odd fit, Jardine taking over the U.S. men's national team. So, I mean, I, I'd sort of okay, answer uh, kind of flippantly. But if, it's, if right now, I'm, I'm going to ask no, you the question. Let, but let, I've asked you this about making having to speak English a requirement. The larger point there is, is what you're driving at. I mean, a lot of people want them to expand the search to sort of flashier, sexier foreign names, and they seem to be focused on MLS guys that know the American soccer. So th- there is a legitimate debate to be had there. Sure, there's a d- legitimate debate to be had there. But if I told you that Pep Guardiola, who does speak English, right. was available to coach the U.S. men's national team. And on the other side was Greg Berhalter. And I'm, look, I, I, if Greg Berhalter's coach really, you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. But in this, in this type of world where we do these things, would it even cross your mind to pick Greg Berhalter? No. I no. Think you have and to there's a that. lot of people that would say the same thing. So I'm asking you, why? Because I think he's such a more accomplished coach that that would outweigh Greg Berhalter's superior understanding of the American soccer system. I think Pep could get there, but I don't know that Berhalter can get to Pep's level of sort of overall pedigree. And, and, and Who has Pep coached that is a team <laughs> that is going to consistently be facing, when it really matters, opponents that are superior? Well, perhaps Nobody. Pep could build a team that someday is superior to most of its opponents. He, absolutely he could. But just this automatic assumption that someone like Pep uh, Guardiola is a better coach than, and I'm just using Greg Berhalter as an example. It, it it drives me nuts. I understand why, and especially when it comes to if if Greg Berhalter had been given the opportunities that Pep Guardiola had. And look, we all the the world smiles, the world frowns. You know, all all opportunity. It's not always about talent, but when we are talking about these things, I just it, it doesn't irritate me because I, I I find it interesting. Um, when the the likes of someone like Pep Guardiola or others, it's just automatic. Well, he's obviously a better coach because he has coached at bigger clubs, because he has uh, been under greater pressure. But we've always talked about the fact that if you really want to know how good a coach is, then you make it an even playing field. And I know that's a complete idealistic and utopian type of, of thing. It's never going to happen. But what you do is you take a Greg Berhalter and a Pep Guardiola and a number of others, and you put players in front, and you just split them up randomly. And then you see who's the coach. This whole concept of, of coaching them up, that's what being a good coach is. And maybe Pep Guardiola would come out and, and prove that the reason why he is Pep Guardiola is because no matter what, give him a group of soccer players, and he will make them better regardless of how good the competition or how bad the competition is next to him. Uh, Stu Holden, who works for Turner and yes. every now and then for Fox as well, <laughs> uh, he was all over Twitter today pushing Bob Bradley. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I agree with him. Uh, his tweet was about uh, that he thought that Bob Bradley should be the coach of the year. I definitely think that Bob Bradley, hands down, is, is my coach of the year for what he has done with LAFC. He's gotten it all right in terms of the way that they play, obviously in terms of the results, uh, making it to the playoffs without even a problem. The players that they have signed, they've hit it out of the ball park on and off the field for that and I think that he he should be recognized I think he will be recognized as far as him becoming the national team coach uh, should he be in in the conversation no he he had his time he 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 did what he needed to do in an emergency capacity in the same way that 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 Bruce Arena I know it didn't work well yeah you could certainly do that but uh, but I don't see that I don't see it happening and it's not something that that I, if I was in charge, that that would be something that I would do. And I'm not saying he's not capable. And by the way, there's another one, Bob Bradley. 
Pep Guardiola. <laughs> you know, automatically. Well, no, Bob Bradley wasn't good at Swansea or whatever. <laughs> Go put Pep at Swansea and let's see what happens. Okay. Oh, okay, whatever. All right. All right. Go, ahead. Go on. All right, next question. At Austin Van Dorn, what country without a World Cup appearance might get their first World Cup berth for the next or following World Cup? Okay, so our crack crew behind the scenes was able to locate a a website that has all of the members of FIFA that have not qualified for a World Cup. And and I'm not reading them all because there's there's over 100. But, I mean, you got teams like... Like Tahiti and Grenada and Mozambique and Oman. I'm just go, you know going through Congo, Malawi, uh, Albania. It's, it, it just little islands to big countries that just haven't gotten it together. And I don't see that changing. U.S. Virgin Islands. I don't see that changing until the World Cup opens up and we have a bigger uh, World Cup, which we know is which we know is coming. And at that point, from a Concacaf perspective, I would see teams like. Guatemala's uh, or Nicaragua's, uh, I know El Salvador's qualified before, but th- those type of teams from a CONCACAF perspective uh, making, making a run. Especially in 2026, I don't know what they're going to do if all three teams have an automatic bid. Uh, is it going to be another three teams? Is it going to be how, how all that's going to work? So I just don't th- see it changing right now. So my, qu- my answer to you, Austin Van Dorn, is that I don't see that list changing. I don't see a debutante that's jumping out right now. You may differ. Yeah, 2026, all bets are off. Obviously, we don't know exactly how many births per federation. I'll make a case for a country in 2022. Again, I wouldn't bet on them to qualify, but just a a country I could make a plausible case for, and it's in my neck of the woods, South America, Venezuela. Um, They actually were making real progress. They came close in 2014. They finished sixth out of 10 teams. The top five went. They were just a few points out of the last spot. Then they took a big step back this last cycle. They finished in last place. But I still think that country is generally trending in the right direction, starting to produce some really good players. They got to the final of the Under-20 World Cup last year, eliminating the U.S. along the way. They lost to England in the final. Uh, they've got some guys like Yangel Herrera, Peñaranda, Joseph Martinez. So I think there's the makings of something there. And, you know, Conmebol could be a little funky this cycle. Listen, if, if Peru, no offense, can get to a World Cup, it's not that much of a stretch that Venezuela could snatch sure. one of those spots as well. So I guess I'll make a case for Venezuela. I waited till our producer, Francis Silva, quit the podcast because I don't like saying nice things to people like to their face so right. you know and I assume she's not listening to this podcast anymore so this will never get back to her but uh, the I Vino Tinto the Vino Tinto would be All right, wonderful uh, just before we before we leave this subject just so you, so you know of the qualifying t- attempts because this website puts it in order at the top in terms of the number of qualifying attempts that they have that they've had but they have not qualified is good old Luxembourg uh, don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon although Finland at 19 times they've tried so that that could be something if you know if they look at Iceland as as hey this is this is the pathway to success all right what else do they want to know here in the ask Alexi segment last one at mafia Don 86 underscore lol which means laughing out loud okay has US soccer done anything since the election to make you think the country's concerns about the state of your soccer is going to improve have they done anything all right so what has happened from a big picture standpoint obviously 2026 which I know you don't necessarily look at as directly impacting but there's plenty of uh, of of impact that that is going to have in a positive way so securing the world cup in 2026 the men's world cup in 2026 uh, in the way that they did it obviously being joint with our friends to the north and the south i think that that's that's huge but that's a much bigger type of thing 
Number two, the establishment of uh, general managers for both the women's and the men's national team. That is important. Why? Well, I think it is in direct response to the accusation and the feeling that too much was being done um, by singular people, too much was be done without any oversight, without any transparency, and that ultimately too many quote-unquote soccer decisions were being made by people that are quote-unquote not soccer people. So that is good. I, I will have an argument and I will fight about the whole soccer person thing, but that's for, that's for another day. But at least you're doing some things that very publicly show that you are listening and that you want to have people in positions uh, that have expertise, that have a background, uh, that are then in charge of making decisions uh, going forward. Uh, number three, and I don't know the actual name of it, but they actually just came out publicly over the last week with a commission, a group, a panel looking into doing things in terms of changing the youth soccer system, or, or at least tweaking it, because there's a recognition, at least from the U.S. soccer, and whether you agree with it or not is another discussion, that while there are certainly things that need to be improved, uh, the system is not broken, and it doesn't need to be completely overhauled. One of the things that I had talked to Carlos Cordero, and by the way, that's another change. I mean, even just the change of Carlos Cordero was significant, uh, and I think seminal. Talking to Carlos Cordero, he was talking about something as, it's not simple, because it's actually a very important concept of registration. And obviously increasing registration for United States Soccer Federation, how important that is in terms of organization uh, and in terms of being able to roll out programs, but also in terms of the information and the data capture and all that kind of stuff, that's important. And being able to qualify and quantify all of that type of numbers and, and data that comes out. I think they're well on their way to doing that. So is that enough? No, because it's never going to be enough for American soccer people because that's what we do. We complain. And we yell and we criticize and we say that we could, uh, we could do it better. And we say, woe is me and everything's falling and everything's broken and we got to tear everything down. So I still remain bullish. I was bullish before the you-know-what hit the fan in the uh, fall of 2017. And I still remain bullish in that we are going in the right way. Maybe at times we're taking steps back to go two steps forward. But ultimately... I look at it in totality, and I look at what has happened with soccer over the last 20 years and the incredible strides that have been made on and off the field, and I extrapolate that out. And so we are headed forward. We are, progr <laughs> we are progressing. And, but all of that is to say, I, I think that they're doing things, but it's still very much 37,000-foot type of, of stuff that is coming out. So some of the details and some of the specifics where you can actually see how things have improved and how things have progressed. And maybe that's much more of a long-term type of play still remains to be seen. Thank you, Mafia Don 86 underscore L-O-L. Is that it? Yep. All right. Thanks for sending those questions in. As always, uh, use that hashtag AskAlexi, and we will get to as many of them as we possibly can. So uh, Masi will, if you are lucky, be reading them in future episodes. And we'll do that all through the week. And you can get to us on Twitter and Facebook and all the different things, Periscope, that we, uh, that we do. And send us uh, what you think, or whether you agree or whether you disagree. All right, moving on. The Back Three. Okay, it's time for our Back Three. The Point in the pod where we talk about some big stories, some games, some moments, stuff that's coming up. Mossy, what's uh, involved in our back three this week? All right, let's start with a little European weekend review, but I, we want to focus on a couple of uh, incidents. Ooh. First, Bayern Munich. Oh, 
won 3-1 away to Wolfsburg, but this match was overshadowed by what took place a day earlier. Their hierarchy called a press conference in which they lambasted the media for their criticism of the team so far this season. Uli Honus and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, what did you make of that? It was incredible. So we worked Bundesliga this week, and the usual stories, we're getting ready and all that. And then on Friday, before the large slate of games happen, including the Bayern Munich game and the crisis that they have been in with this skid that they have been on and all of the questions when it comes to the players, when it comes to Bayern Munich, and therefore by default also the the German national team uh, and their struggles, they come out with this what can only be described as historical and in my mind bizarre and ultimately I think completely tone-deaf and inept (laughs) type of press conference uh, where the leaders proceed to take to task anybody and everybody but most importantly uh, from their perspective was the media and look Everything's being translated, and there is an element of stuff being lost in the translation, but I don't think anything was lost in the translation. They blamed the media for the the tone and the content in which they were uh, talking about players and a team, a team that, by the way, has done so much, uh, players that, by the way, have been the greatest players in the world, and whether it's Manuel Neuer or Mats Hummels or Boateng, uh, or whether it's the consistency and the consistency of winning uh, the Bundesliga that Bayern Munich has, has shown. But in doing so, they lost me. I, I, I love Bayern Munich. And their, I, I loved, to a certain extent, their big, bold, and yes, at times, beautifully arrogant approach. But this, as I said, just seemed so ridiculous in nature. And it just seemed so petty in terms of what they were screaming and, and go check it out because it's really long and, and I'm just giving you an overview, uh, an overview about it. But it, it made me think like, you're, you're Bayern Munich. You don't need to do this. Why are, you acting, why are you acting like this? It makes you look small. And if you're Bayern Munich, you are a super club and you don't want to look small. And if I'm a member of the media and I'm being chastised, there goes your benefit of the doubt. Now I want you to lose. <laughs> now I want to write something negative. Now I want to criticize. Because member media, despite what you have heard, are actually human beings. And with that comes all of our baggages and all of our histories and all of our biases. And so when you say something like that and you blame the media and you chastise them from on top uh, and you scream and yell and say, why are you doing this? And this is not going to be, this is not going to happen. And at the most bizarre point, bring up the German constitution with how people are supposed to be treated. It was, look, from a media perspective, it actually was great because it gave us incredible content that we rolled throughout the weekend. But did you see the uh, the press conference? I did. And your thoughts? Yeah, it was extraordinary, but it, it, it's an arrogant club run by arrogant men. And uh, I wasn't all that surprised. I mean, I was talking to somebody this week. I said, you know, this is what Uli Hunas says publicly. Imagine what he says off the record when he has a couple of beers in him. <laughs> I mean, that guy is out of control. It was nuts. Check it out. But look, ultimately, you built your, your club on winning. And they went out, and they got the job done in terms of getting the three points. Was it, was it by design? The problem was, after the game, I, I wasn't happy. I, wasn't, I, didn't, I didn't want Bayern Munich to win. And before the game, I, 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 I like Bayern Munich. You know, I'll make fun of them every once in a while because they are high and mighty. And, but they've earned that right to be high and mighty. But this was so high and mighty 
and so beyond the pale that it made it made the, the individuals look stupid, but I think it made the club look stupid. And look, you're always, if you're a super club, you're always going to have as many people that love you as hate you right now. But after that, you created some more haters. <laughs> well, early Saturday, uh, Chelsea and Manchester United played to a 2-2 draw at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea got a last gasp equalizer from Ross Barkley. And then all the craziness ensued. A Chelsea assistant coach celebrated right in front of Mourinho. He went after him. Uh, Mourinho actually handled this great afterwards. I'm not a big fan of his, but he came out and said, look, they apologize. It's fine. I'm over it. Let's focus on the game. The kid shouldn't be punished at all. He said, I've made a lot of mistakes in my career. So uh, by Jose Mourinho's standards, this was like an amazing uh, reaction post-game. Uh, what did you make of this whole incident? Well, it was an amazing reaction. Jose's reaction was a reaction to a reaction. So if he really believed that this kid was just making a mistake why go off and jump out and chase him down the tunnel and do all that kind of stuff? I mean, look, I get it. If you go in front of the opposition's bench and you celebrate and you put it in their face, you're going to get a reaction. But you know what you're doing. Lost in all of this is that Jose Mourinho's team had a huge three points at a time when he and that team really, really needed it, and they blew it at the end. Although I'm going to argue this was actually a good day for Mourinho. Okay, uh, I know when you're seconds away from getting three points and you have to settle for one. No, listen, I've disavowed any notion that United are going to win any major trophies this season. By major trophies, I mean Premier League or Champions League. They might win the FA Cup. Uh, but listen, they're 10th in the league, nine points out of first place. So, I mean, they're not going to win the Premier League and then they're not going to win the Champions League. To me, this is just about not letting this season implode completely and Mourinho holding on to his job right now. And for them to go in there and get a 2-2 draw at Stanford Bridge and his team played well, they played hard for him. Even the incident at the end seemed to have kind of a galvanizing effect. The fans were chanting his name. So I think overall, this was another positive day. He's kind of weathering the storm here. Now, he's in the midst of a tough run of fixtures. He's got Juventus twice in the Champions League, away to Manchester City, looming. So he's. <laughs> we'll see if he gets out of it. But I, I think this was actually a good start to that stretch for them to go there and get a point, even though it should have been three. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's still overall... A point. It's still a point against a very, very good Chelsea team and a point yeah. away. I, I get that. The irony is that... You know, he looked like this fatherly figure and, and uh, much more mature and bringing perspective in the way that he reacted after it. And yet, it's he talked about being young uh, at once and making mistakes. It's not as if he doesn't make those same mistakes. The irony is that this exact antic would, you know, it would surprise nobody if Jose Mourinho had done that. <laughs> Absolutely nobody. And not surprise Jose Mourinho from 10 years ago. If he did it tomorrow, it would surprise nobody because that's who he is. And I've talked to you about my, my fondness and my love for all things uh, Jose Mourinho. And that after he played the card of being the, the, the wise old uh, sage and uh, saying, oh, I understand and I've made mistakes before, is it disingenuous? Yes, but it's classic Jose Mourinho, zigging and zagging and doing things that we that we don't expect. And everybody kind of having to step back and say, well, that was kind of mature. And But, <laughs> but the distrust in the way that everybody frames this is a testament to what Jose Mourinho is, has, has become and the villain and the uh, persona that he has inhabited for so long. I'll tell you, you had this incident on Saturday. You had the Michigan-Michigan State brouhaha that we've discussed, and then the Lakers and Rockets got into a whole kerfuffle too. Well, was uh, there a spit or not in that game? Do we know? Have they established yet what there was, <laughs> there was saliva? Because you know my feelings on spitting. We've, yes. we've talked about this before. It's the most vile and disgusting and degrading thing that any athlete can do to another athlete. A lot and of fighting, though. What's everybody so upset about? I don't know, man. You know, can't we just 
all get along and, you know, <laughs> live and let live and love and all that kind of stuff. Quickly, two more games from the weekend I want to mention. Sure. Inter Milan beat AC Milan in the Derby. This game has obviously lost a lot of luster, but I still like it. It was a sold-out San Siro, great atmosphere. Mauro Icardi with a uh, last gasp goal. He won the duel of Argentinian strikers. It was Icardi on one end and Iguain on the other. So uh, Inter get the three points against their hated rivals. And then Barcelona with a big win against Sevilla at home 4-2. We'll get to all their messy stuff in a minute, but I just want to say a couple things about this game. Artur, my Brazilian boy, another very good game. He's settling into that midfield nicely. And also, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen made some incredible saves in this game. He might be the best goalkeeper in the world right now. I'm going to put that out there, Ter Stegen. Mr. Mossi. Yes. This will not continue. This is unacceptable. Manuel Neuer (laughs) is the greatest goalkeeper. Nicht. The greatest human being ever. (laughs) And I will not tolerate this. It violates my personal code. It violates the code of Bayern Munich. It violates the constitution of Germany. Manuel Neuer will not be disrespected in public like you, like that, what you have done. Nicht. All right. All right. So our next back three topic, staying with Barcelona, the down note in that win over Sevilla was Messi injured his arm, uh, had to exit yeah. early in the first half. He's going to be out three weeks. Look brutal, huh? Which Oof. means, yeah, he's going to miss... This upcoming Sunday, the Clásico, Barcelona home to Real Madrid. And obviously, Ronaldo not at Real Madrid anymore. So the question would be, uh, Sanz, Messi, and Ronaldo, are you still as excited for this game as, as you've been in recent years? Or how much of your excitement for this fixture was driven by those two guys and that whole subplot? Has something definitely been lost here? Yeah. Not, has everything been lost? No. I'll probably still watch it. But, there, <laughs> you know, we often get, not criticized, but but at least laughed at at times for the way that we prop up stars in, in U.S. sports. But it's being done everywhere else, maybe in different ways. But, yeah, it's lost its luster if you don't have those two big players. And are clubs more than just players? Yeah. But these are the two clubs, and we're not just talking about two players. We're talking about two, when all is said and done, of the greatest players ever to play the game that have changed the way that we look at the game, look at the, game the way that we play the game in certain aspects of it, uh, and, and, the, and what we equate with entertainment. So yeah, it's, this, is, this, is not a, it's not, this is not a good thing. It does, I'll still watch it, like I said, but it's not as exciting to me and certainly not as uh, sexy without these two going at it. It's amazing. As good as those two squads are on paper, when you take those guys out, it's such a difference. We're seeing it play out with Real Madrid this whole season. And even Barcelona, the times they've tried to rest Messi and rotate and give him a breather, they really struggle without him. So it's going to be interesting to see which players step up. Obviously, on the Real Madrid side, you've got somebody like Gareth Bale, who's long wanted to prove that without Ronaldo, he could be the man. Is it going to be Asensio, Isco, FIFA World Player of the Year, Luka Modric, perhaps? On the Barcelona side, Coutinho, Luis Suarez, who I thought played great this past weekend, or even Dembele, who who uh, everybody's getting on him again. He struggled this past weekend, but he's going to get some chances here. He's the guy that came on from Messi. He's the natural replacement, so I think the next three weeks he's going to get some starts there. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm cooking up a Mossy Makes the Case about... Uh, the fact that these top European leagues have kind of leveled out this season. Because last season, we all bemoaned how top-heavy they were. Right. And now you're seeing in like Bundesliga and La Liga, the standings, everybody's bunched together, the top five or six. I'm going to give it a bit more time because I think if I did it now, you would brush it aside and say it's too early. I think sure. we, we don't. But it is interesting with La Liga. You know, they've changed the way the television money is distributed. It's distributed more equitably. And a lot of people think it's finally bearing fruit this season. You look at that table and there's like six teams within like three or four points of each other at the top. So it's not like Barcelona and Real Madrid top 
towering over everybody else. So there's a different feel around this game even for that reason too, besides Messi and Ronaldo not being there. Speaking of Ronaldo, that transitions nicely to our last topic, uh, the Champions League match day three. It's back. Uh, yep, it's back. Lots of great games. The big one, though, is Manchester United hosting Juventus. Ronaldo's return to Old Trafford. It's been a while since I've heard this rant, so uh, I'll set you up here for it. Uh, <laughs> if Ronaldo scores, he is not going to celebrate. Uh, what are your <sighs> thoughts on players not celebrating against their former club? I think it's more disrespectful, and I think it actually brings more attention I don't look at it as respect. I don't look at it as something that needs to be done. I don't want a player that I am uh, looking at as a teammate or one of our players if I'm a coach or if one of my players if I'm a fan. We're paying you, and in these cases, ridiculous amounts of money. Not, even, not ridiculous. That's, that's not right because it's what the market will, will bear. It's ridiculous relative to 99.99% of the world out there. But we're paying you a lot of money. You work for us. It's not that you can't be appreciative for what happened in the past. But in that 90 minutes, you're there to score goals for us. And if you can't find the joy and the celebration, and it's one thing if you never celebrate, that's fine. Then, then, it, it's, then it's equal for everyone. But if you're known for your celebrations and you score against a previous team, yeah, I, I, I find that disrespectful to the people that have taken a chance on you now. And what have you done for me lately? So I just find it bizarre. It would never occur to me to, to, to do that. Now I moved to a bunch of different teams. Uh, and so maybe if something is, is in your heart to the extent that you just find you can't fathom uh, celebrating against a team that has been so much, I, I can't relate to that. And I don't understand it. And I think, I think you're doing yourself a disservice ultimately. If, because if, you're, there's also a pandering aspect of it that drives me nuts. Yeah, uh, Paul Pogba is not going to celebrate if he scores, but he hates Mourinho so much he'll celebrate a Juventus goal in that game. <laughs> um, but uh, just to whip through some of the other big games, Barcelona host Inter. A couple of interesting players involved in this one uh, on the theme of facing your former club. Uh, Mauro Icardi, who I mentioned, scored the late winner against AC Milan. He's a former, he's a Barcelona youth product. He spent some years at La Masia and then chose to leave and go to Italy because he felt he'd have a better chance of playing time there. So over the years, a lot of people have discussed that decision and, and talked about what could have been if he had stayed at Barcelona and now he gets to go to Camp Nou and start a big game for the opposition and then similarly Coutinho's first European club was Inter he went there when he was 18 in 2010 spent two and a half years there and showed some flashes but it never quite happened for him and they were down enough on him that in January of 2013 they sold him for peanuts to Liverpool and the rest is history I mentioned earlier he's the third most expensive player of all time so now he's going to get a chance to show Inter and when, when Inter Milan fans bemoan the fact that they don't appreciate young players enough Coutinho is always the example that's brought up and what, what did we do there we gave up on this guy and look what he's become so that'll be kind of interesting you've got PSG hosting Napoli uh, Neymar will be well rested for that game because he was given the weekend completely off it's amazing uh, I know he uh, played 90 minutes in both Brazil games so okay maybe don't play him this weekend but it was kind of bad optics to just give him the weekend off altogether he went to like Portugal to watch some surfing tournament or something <laughs> while they're playing a league game uh, he was rocking this uh, LeBron James Lakers jersey it was actually very cool and then we'll end on this uh, Dortmund play Atletico Madrid I'm fascinated by this game we covered Dortmund they yep. look great in the Bundesliga but now this is a 
big test against arguably the best defensive team in all of Europe. How will Alcacer, Roy, Sancho, Pulisic, and company fare against Atletico? That's some test for them, huh? I can't wait. And, and you mentioned Alcacer and what he has brought and how he's starting and how it relates to uh, Christian Pulisic, who did not start over the weekend. Were they, were they resting him or what would be viewed as a bigger problem for Christian Pulisic is it that uh, Jaden Sancho has now taken over that spot uh, from a starting perspective and does Christian Pulisic have to win that back? Uh, a lot of questions when it comes to both Richard Dortmund and how how Christian Pulisic fares and hopefully he, stay, hopefully he stays healthy because he's been through a number of uh, of injuries that have put into this position. But it's it's a question as to whether Christian Pulisic is still a a natural starter for Borussia Dortmund going forward. I, I still think he is, but I'm not quite sure. You think? Yeah, this game will be a telltale sign. I mean, you know, first game back from injury, you can argue you're using his, him back, but, I mean, this game he's going to put out whatever he considers his best gotcha. lineup right now. He's so got to. Yeah. Oh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right, anything else? Uh, I just want to say one last thing. Oh, God, uh, here we I, go. I do want to congratulate uh, my good friend Eric Winalda on being back in the game. Back Las in the Vegas game. Las Vegas Lights. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh, I went back and forth. I uh, talked to him uh, a couple days ago. Eric Winalda, who I've I've known for years and years, and we've worked together. Both of us have uh, worked together. Uh, you know, I often talk about um, – I get asked – Actually, this this will this kind of dovetail into uh, my one big thing for today's today's podcast. I often get asked, "Would you want to coach? Do you want to do you want to do something else?" And I the, the, I say the same thing each and every time because it's how I feel. Uh, there might come a point in the future where I want to do something else, but that point has not come. And I'll do everything in my power to make that happen, whether it's coaching or front office and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do anything else. And I think I've I've told you this before. I I love what I do. I'm very very fortunate. We are very very fortunate to be able uh, to be able to do that. And I find so many people in our industry that are just passing through and using it as a way station until something better comes along. And that really have a desire and a passion for something else. Uh, and oftentimes it's it's coaching. It's easy to say I want to coach. It's another thing to actually get an opportunity. And so I'm so happy for someone like Eric Winall that as I was happy for someone like Brad Friedel because I know deep down this is what they want to do. And uh, I'm happy that Eric Winall has been given an opportunity. And look, Eric will be the first person to tell you that plenty of baggage comes with Eric Winalda. I love him. He's nuts uh, in, in the best way. At times, he drives me nuts. Uh, at times, I drive him nuts. At times, we've had good times and bad times, all that kind of stuff. But, but ultimately, he wants to coach, and I think, I think he can be a good coach, and I'm glad that he's getting an opportunity. And I'm glad for anybody if they are finally able to do the thing that ultimately they want to do. There's Unfortunately, most people in the world don't get to do that. We're very, very lucky that we do. As I've said before, I don't ever want to be doing something and certainly doing this if I'm not 100% invested because I think while you can get away with that for a little bit, I think ultimately will it manifest itself in your performance and you're cheating yourself and you're cheating the viewer or the listener or whatever it ends up being uh, in this wonderful uh, world that we uh, that we work in. And so I'm happy for him and I'm happy for us that we can continue to do that. And I'm happy that everybody else uh, out there is, is listening and, uh, and watching as we go through. The other part about our job here is that we are in the business of opinion. I, I get up every day and I give my opinion on hundreds and hundreds of things. I'm now at times asked uh, uh, you know, for advice from younger people. And oftentimes I will tell them, don't be afraid of being wrong. And so whether it's uh, having an opinion about, I don't know, Wayne Rooney, you don't think he's going to move the needle or anything else through your career, you're going to be wrong plenty of times. And if you talk 
with a fear of being wrong, you're not going to be very long for this profession. And I have been wrong in the past. I will be wrong in the future about different things. You're going to be right too. Uh, and what I've found is it actually, it's much more enjoyable <laughs> for people to see when you are wrong. They love telling you that you're wrong and they will find different ways to tell you that you're wrong. Uh, but it's okay because tomorrow there'll be more opinions. And that's what we love about sports, the debate, uh, the argument, the back and forth that goes on. We are, we are very, very fortunate to be able to do this. And uh, it's not lost on us uh, how fortunate we are. I want to thank you because you enable us to do this by listening to this show. Mossy, anything uh, you want to say before we head out? Nope. Uh, well, you can find Mossy on Twitter, so you can yell at him there. You can find me on Twitter when we got the Facebook. Remember to use those Ask Alexi uh, hashtags uh, going forward. Uh, I know at times we have been taken to task because I repeat things uh, during the segments, and I set them up, and so, so much of it is things that you have heard before. I will only refer you to the, the concept of time spent viewing or listening. There are many people that are listening to this podcast for the first time. Uh, many more people than maybe are even listening to it from a consistent basis. We get more and more people coming in and out, and so we do repeat it. I've tried to curtail that a little bit, but I want people, if it is their first time listening to the podcast, or if they're coming in in the middle of the podcast, to at least be able to figure out what we're talking about. And so that's why we do that. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening week in and week out. We will be back again next week with another episode of the State of the Union. And as always, my folks size of death.